morning and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumser. This is our extra special super duper with chocolate sauce, What Happened at HR Tech edition. How are you, Stacey? I'm doing well. I, I finally made it home from Las Vegas here in North Carolina. I live in Raleigh-Durham, so we didn't get nearly hit as bad by uh, Hurricane Florence as the rest of the state did. But it still took me a little while to get home. Uh, hopefully, everyone else who is out there and in this area is doing well. But yeah, it was it was an exciting week from HR Tech to, to Hurricane Florence to, to brand new announcements. I, I tell you, we were busy. There was nonstop, right? Yeah, lovely Las Vegas. I have I have a Las Vegas tan. That's what you get from <laughs> walking by slot machines ten times a day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the constant horse force from smoke, from all the smoke lingering in the air, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it, funny. It, it's it's so noticeable now. And and ten years ago, um, it was like the fog in San Francisco. Now now some people smoke, and it's more irritating. It's crazy. It really is. I, I used to waitress many, many, many years ago, eons ago, and um, it was a, it was a. I can remember they used to put like the smokers on one half of the room and the non-smokers on the other half, and you were kind of like, yeah, that would really separate the smoke and the big room. <laughs> yeah, and see, I'm, yeah. I'm just enough older so that I remember being deeply inconvenienced by the idea that I couldn't smoke anywhere I felt like it. Yeah. <laughs> It was a busy week. Besides the Vegas um, things that happen in Vegas, uh, we had spent an enormous amount of time talking to people, presenting information, and delving into what's happening in the HR technology space, particularly for North America. But really, there was a lot of global here at this event this year. Huge contingent from the Asia Pacific market, I believe. You know, they were talking about large numbers from there. And I didn't get final numbers from the event. I don't know if you did, but it was it was as large as last year, or a little bit larger, I think. Correct. I think I think it was the biggest show ever. Um, there were certainly, I, I think, 450 or 60 different vendors, and you know, as as you start to try to imagine what that means, you you can't even you can't even walk through and just touch each booth in less than a day. Yeah. Right. It's 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 it was an extraordinary thing, and and there were. Uh, events around the expo floor, so there were talks and demonstrations and competitions all around that place. So, so they they made the expo into an extra special experience, along with seventy five sessions. So, so you could be on a team of fifteen people and have fifteen radically different experiences at the thing. It, it's it was crazy. I would agree. I. This year, I think they did a very nice job of making the Expo Hall more of an of an uh, a destination to go to. Right, not only was the registration there, and they had some relaxation booths like right out in front. They also had a big VIP lounge where I think you were signing books and everything at. And they also had a, you know, like you said, the Pitch Fest, which was right in the middle for um, very small organizations looking for funding from. I think it was the Randstad organization. Iron Spencer, my colleague, was uh, doing some of the judging in that. So it was really quite exciting to be out on the Expo floor hall this year, as you mentioned, just because it was a lot more active, I think, than usual. Yeah, yeah. So so what was your favorite thing that you saw there? Um, in the Expo hall, you know, it was sort of interesting. Um, I actually enjoyed the relaxation rooms more than anything. And not just because I needed to relax. I think we all did. But I had some great conversations sitting there 
charging my phone and I was, I was in the um, work. They did a little uh, space as well. I think I can't remember who was sponsoring the charging the phone space, but the two of them were sort of right next to each other. And where they had this like coloring draw wall on it and this VR virtual thing. And I just sat down and had the best conversations with people who I hadn't met previously in those environments because I spent a lot of time waiting for other people who were meeting me. Uh, and those seemed to be the easiest places to, to make uh, arrangements to meet people. Um, I met with a, a large theater over a big pharma company. I met with a, um, a small organization um, that uh, just 500 people who was looking at getting a new HCM deployment and I thought well this is fun this is this is a little bit easier than trying to make it to the lunchroom which we just can't do as analysts so that was kind of nice yeah so 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 your favorite thing was the relaxation room and relaxation means charging your phone I, I, <laughs> I, I appreciate your devotion to relaxation <laughs> You know, it's you know, it's the thought that counts. How about you? I mean, there was there was a lot of vendors. I I didn't see any vendors that really blew me away this year as far as their their layout and structure of their expo floor halls. But I did enjoy the pitch fest too when I went there. So, so that, let's talk about the pitch fest a little bit. What, tell me, tell me what you thought about the pitch fest. Well, I only got to see a little bit of one of them, uh, the one that Aaron was um, judging, but. You know, my understanding is that they had like a total of like five minutes. They had to pitch for a few minutes and then uh, answer questions for a few minutes. And the few that I watched were were pretty good. You know, they were they were, as we would call it in the industry, tap dancing, giving all the points about what their organization was doing and why the value of their organization was um, important and the type of products that they were pitching um, and their business case and. Uh, so I was I was impressed by the fact that they could come up with all that as quickly as they did. Um, I don't know how the judging finally went. I didn't see who the final winners were, but my you know I saw you know one or two duds, but I saw a lot of a uh, couple of uh, pitches that I thought well you know if I had some money I'd probably invest in them. So yeah, I thought it went pretty well. It's it's so strange. I I think I think I have a different view of of those sorts of things than most people mm -hmm. do. The winner. As I understand it, was a company called oh God, something Door, Blendor. Blendor. Blendor is a sort of it's it's a glass door clone that uses public information to grade the diversity quality. They're using diversity in the uh, protected classes sense, diversity yeah. scores. Of tech companies, um, and, and and that's that struck me as um, interesting, uh, but but it's um, um, it's Not weird that it, it's weird. Yeah, it's weird that it won. I, it, it wasn't clear to me what it does, but 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 I was reminded of this. Um, uh, I'll tell you the story some other time. I took a bunch of. Uh, CHROs on a walking tour of San Francisco-based HR tech startups back in the spring, um, and and what what was clear was that was that very few people in decision-making roles really have the right level of experience and understanding to actually be making um, uh, the uh, decisions that they're making. They confused. Uh, tried ideas and interior decoration with software quality. 
yeah. yeah. <laughs> was 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 the problem. Well, and that and that you know um, that is always the challenge, right? When you're looking at and what makes for a good uh, organization to invest in, it's it's more than just a pretty window window dressing, right? It, it also includes uh, the reality check of of how. Uh, you know, hard they're willing to work for it. It, it includes the, you know, are these organizations uh, have ideas that go beyond that single point idea, right? Um, it also includes do they have good technology, right? And so there's there's a lot of stuff that um, goes into investment numbers. Well, another area of investment though is uh, investing in sort of various books and research. And we we haven't, you know, we've sort of teased the audience previously about what came out in the big research reports that both of us launched. What about your report? We, I mean, you had how many sessions? Five sessions? You were delivering insight at, at the event. You want to maybe give just a few brief um, nuggets about what you covered, John? Sure, sure. So so it was it was an amazing set of performances. In the I, I ran a small AI track which and and that's funny in itself cuz i don't really think that there's ai available yet but but the marketing <laughs> people are calling this stuff ai and so so it it it, it eventually gets counterproductive to try to struggle against misnamed things um i i did an introduction to ai for leaders um a really interesting session about how to do um evaluation of vendors in the space, um, a showcase of uh, um, the most interesting vendors in the space, um, a, a revised version of the intro for a more focused uh, executive group. And then um, I coached a session about um, bias in AI was the final session on Friday morning. And uh, by the way, the the biggest rowdiest audience response was to the bias session, which was not me on the stage. It was Heather Bussing and uh, Kate Bischoff, and they they did the liveliest conversation about a topic like bias that I've ever seen. It was really really yes. quite good. Um, yeah, they had everybody laughing. You know, the topic of bias is so challenging because people get defensive and people don't know where the lines are. Um, and, and and Kate and Heather uh, made it approachable and funny. Yeah. And and that was, that, that's a really big deal. Um, I, I, I love to say, I didn't get to go to many sessions. I actually only got to go to two sessions. One was the, the I, we took a little break and went to the micro um, keynote. Um, which was basically just a, a comedy show and, and, a, and a pretty big hit on you know HR and its role sometimes in the in the uh, skills engagement issue. But then I went to uh, Heather and Kate's presentation, if you want to call it a presentation. It was the best conversation. It was like a little fireside chat where you were just laughing through the whole conversation. They did a fabulous job. So if you coach them through that, John, kudos to you because they did fabulous on that. So very nice job. Yeah. So so the rest of it. Let's 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 walk walk backwards to it. So the 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 crowds were huge. The crowds were huge. There were easily five or six hundred people in each one of these sessions. The intro session was just was standing and lonely. Um, the the um, 
how do you do a vendor evaluation session was, was a conversation that I had with Megan Butita, who is the head of data and strategy in the HR department at Allstate. And she, she's, she teaches a two-day course in data and analytics for HR that everybody in the HR department is required to take. And I'm unaware of another HR department that is that focused on analytics. So that's the first thing. But she's, Megan has built this uh, amazing system that's the integration of 30 different vendors of intelligent products. And it ranges from the, this, this overall system can generate names for jobs, so the most basic sourcing task, and it goes all the way through the life cycle of research and recruiting to um, figuring out where you're going to put offices five years from now and what kind of people with what kind of skills you're going to need. And so it's one big set of research focused on labor markets on the planet and how the all-state business fits into those labor markets and the the names, strategies, skills, um, and other pieces of the future that they need to integrate. And they and they do it with all of these intelligent data and um, AI, in quotes, vendors. So, so we talked about her overall system and how it works. Um, and then, then we spent some time digging into the details of what do you need to know to buy this stuff? And, and, and it's a pretty long list of questions that you, that you have to be asking. You know, when you, the, 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 the big thing is that uh, today machines deliver opinions, and they didn't used to deliver opinions. It used to be that the software didn't really manipulate your data. It just organized and reorganized it. So you would put data in and then get reports out, and the reports contained the data that you put in. Today, you put in data, then the machine does stuff to it. You know, it's like you put all the ingredients in a taffy machine, and then the um, the machine stretches and pulls and chews, and, and what comes out the other end is no longer the ingredients you put at the front end. And that's what happens with the data that goes into contemporary software. Uh, it comes out, and it's got the machine's opinion embedded in it when it comes out the other side of it. And and so because of that, you need to ask about how the data models were built, what sort of sample size they used to build it, um, if the company adds external data into the output, how reliable is that external data, and whether there are contracts associated with that external data, and on and on and on. And it is a overwhelming list at first that includes having to evaluate the health of the vendor so that you can tell whether or not you're investing your internal money um, in a company that can take you the distance. And that, that, is, that is maybe the most important part of it, is trying to get an understanding of how likely you are to succeed based on the vendor's health. And the reason that matters is that the price you pay the vendor for the software is the least of the costs associated with doing this. The big part of the cost is what it takes to get everybody trained and up to internally to use it. 
So when you buy something, you want it to last, and and getting a sense of financial um, viability is a critical thing, right? And and, and and do you feel organizations are are understanding that? I mean, did you get a lot of questions about that issue in your guys' session, or or was that something that you think are <laughs> just getting to a point where people are understanding? Oh. I, you, you know, there there isn't anywhere you can go in HR that I'm aware of and get a training program in uh, vendor validation. So so I I think it's early. I think it's early, and I think we have a whole lot of VC backed companies that you know you look at a company gets fifty million dollars and you and you think to yourself they must be smart. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, will, and the reality yeah. might be they must be related to a VC somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Um, <laughs> yeah, so um, 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 we didn't get questions about that. The questions had more to do with, um, with data quality and data integration. So the early starting the, point stuff, yeah. The early starting point, because because really to buy this, to buy the new wave of stuff, you don't just. It's not like a car. You go out and buy a car, and you don't really have to think that hard about why you're buying the car, because there's roads everywhere. If you buy a car, you can drive it places. Um, this is this is the pre-road stage of technology, and so if you, if you're buying this stuff, you really have to know what you're trying to do. Yeah. And that's not always the way the directive to use advanced intelligent technology comes to you. Sometimes you're just told to go get some. Um, and and it rarely works if you just go get some. Well, it sounds like you had some great conversations on the topic. And then you kind of wrapped up with your... <laughs> companies who were most notable in doing the AI stuff right now, right? Yeah, so the big deal the big deal for the week was that we launched the uh, 2019 index of intelligent tools. And you can find out about that on the HR Examiner website. It's a great report about um, what's happening, what are the ethical issues? It's a very, very long discussion of ethical issues. What are the questions you need to implement uh, and a set of forecasts that be delivered separately? The final piece of that report is something we're calling the watch list, which is, which is a, a dozen or so of the most interesting companies in the space. And then at the event, we presented four um, at the top of the pile, and those four were Textio, which does um, writing augmentation, and writing augmentation means this tool helps you in a in a gamified way make your LinkedIn communications and job descriptions focused on generating results and generating results that are free from bias. Um, in a way that you can't do on your own because they use all of the data from everywhere to help you get your targeting right and to help you get your messaging right. Um, then there's Ascendify, which is an AI-first suite 
that has talent management and uh, talent acquisition. And the, the most interesting thing there is their interviewing module, which uh, this is so so Ascendify is for Fortune 100 size companies. And in Fortune 100 size companies, where you have teams of 10 people who do interviewing for people on new jobs, this coordinates, makes sure that everybody who's on the interview team has the right questions to ask, makes recommendations about who ought to be on the interview team, and reschedules when rescheduling is required. And so, and so it, it solves a very headachey uh, problem. Uh, we had Bridge, who does a performance management based on the learning management system bit of intelligence. So it's AI applied to the learning end of a suite. And um, in this one, the, the idea is that great performance management is always about development. So this creates a relationship between the employee and the supervisor and everything that's in the company that you can use to learn. So the the supervisor guides the employee through a development process with an assist from the machine. And then, oh, the, a, a really big deal. Kronos, who are a 40-year-old company, they invented the automated time clock in the early <laughs> 70s. Right? This is this is this is you know, the Flintstones um, on some yep. level. Uh, is doing some of the most interesting AI, and they're doing some of the most interesting AI because they have data. Right? Yeah. One of the big differences between startups and legacy companies is legacy companies have been dealing with data for a long time and know what to do with it. I have often said that legacy companies finally have a leg up when it comes to technology and the AI space because they have data, right? <laughs> yep. Wow, it sounds like you have some great companies that people should be, uh, at least, as you said, watching, keeping an eye on. Um, what a busy week for you. And it was, uh, without a doubt, um, it sounds like you didn't get as much time to do your briefings as you would normally do in your sessions because you were doing so much content. No, so so you, you might imagine that, that what's happened for me is I've started doing those briefings every day as as a matter of course for the research rather than, um, in years past, many, many years, I've been doing 50 meetings over the course of the week at HR Tech. And uh, uh, now now the number is much higher, but I get six months to do it. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I think that's actually, I think all of us are starting to realize that sometimes there's a sort of a balance. Uh, we did sort of a, not quite exactly the same model. We decided to do... Um, organizations from a briefing perspective who we need to have conversations with about the research this year, which meant many of the organizations that end up in our research. And then we did all of our new and emerging technology organizations that we hadn't spoken with as post HR tech briefings. So I now have briefings that are scheduled out through January of next year uh, due to all of the, the buzz that was going on in HR tech. So I think, I think we're all trying to figure out ways to balance the huge amount of vendor proliferation that's going on in the HR technology space. It's it's funny because I think I think what we're starting to see is that one of the things that limits the industry's ability to grow is the availability of analysts and the availability of a business model that makes it possible for analysts to be successful. 
But you have to have the, if, if you don't have the analyst filter, what happens is there's no gateway for people to pass through. Um, and and, and there, you can have a pretty long debate about whether or not um, it's an ethical gateway. Right? There's been some stuff in the press about, about that. But the truth is, no buyer has the capacity to understand the broad range of what's available. So somebody has to stand there. And when you have this flood of new companies that we have right now, uh, it's simply not possible to see them all. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that means that those companies don't have the friction reduction that analysts bring to the to the party. Yeah, and, so and gotta... it's interesting. Yeah, because that's definitely a lot of what I heard was that um, practitioners and the people who were on my panel said there was just too much. It was overwhelming to try and get a sense of what's happening in the market now. They felt at this point they, they no longer could take it all in. Yeah, so so I have a question for you. Earlier earlier in the in the conversation, you were talking about vendors talking about a sort of a data layer. Tell me more about that. So a lot. So yeah. So uh, I mean, a lot of what you're talking about with artificial intelligence sort of assumes that there is data available. I think right to do the artificial intelligence analysis, machine learning, those things. Um, but what because I'm sitting on sort of maybe the other end of the conversation, uh, we're hearing a lot about the organizations, I think, who are starting to develop the environments that you need to create these tools, right? Um, so we had some great briefings this week or with um, IBM, um, Ultimate, uh, Ceridian. Um, we had a, a really good briefing with um, uh, the WalkMe team. We had a great briefing with um, organizations like ServiceNow who are all developing um, areas of, of technology that are a little bit different from sort of the traditional buying pattern that we've seen in the HR technology space. Generally, they were either, you know, you bought an on-premise system that you took care of on in your environment that you managed and had your database and your access to your information only, right? Or you bought a cloud solution, which was multi-tenant and sort of had all the data commingled and ultimately, what, but it was still an application that you were putting data in, taking data out of. That was the application that was the gateway to this. Um, what we sat and listened to quite a few vendors explain um, this year, um, particularly you know, IBM and Equifax and uh, several others, is the idea that these organizations are now creating really a data layer um, of, of, of content and information that's all within a data model, and then various what I would call very niche products or solutions or uh, elements that people could sort of attach to. So the whole point is, is that you're creating basically like an integration um, capability within your organization to integrate to all these little elements. But the reason you're integrating to their little solutions is because you want to reach the data layer at the bottom. Um, and we were having a discussion, you and I, about what is this new thing called? Because we sort of have to have a name for it because people are buying technology in this way. It is not just a niche provider because you're not buying them just because they're a specific solution. You're buying them because you're getting access to this data that's at the bottom of it. Um, and I think we had come up with the idea that it was a data infrastructure. Is that what we finally said? Is it, so, you said so, that was a so, term we'd heard. So it's, it's, it's being called data as infrastructure data as a lot of places. And what that means is it, in original enterprise software, the software was the infrastructure. The data yeah. went into the software, and then the software did stuff with it. Now it's more like 
the data is the ocean floor and the software is the is those little automated submarines that go around and explore the ocean floor. Yep. Um and so what matters is the data and its organization and structure first and then the yep. software. Then the software. And and that's a different model and it's a really interesting change in the way that the industry works. Um, it's happening not just in HR, it's happening across the board that what matters is the data and your governance of the data and the way that you organize, name, and deliver consistent properties about the data first. And then the software can do its job. Yeah, and that's a great lead in to um, the, probably the biggest thing that we launched this year in our CRC or HCM system research. Um, was a brand new, what we call application, uh, human capital management application blueprint, which is basically our way of saying, this is how we're seeing organizations buy technology, right? Um, and generally in the past, that has always been developed around processes. And you, you bought a, a solution based off of the process and the process was part of the application and you were trying to address the process issues and you sort of worried about integration and data connection, but the bigger issue was to do the process the way you wanted it to. And we've switched our whole model based off of what we're seeing. And I think it's in relation to this new type of approach to purchasing technology. And the center of our new map is data governance, strategy, and culture. Those are the places where organizations are starting their HR technology discussion now. They have to have a strategy, they have to have a cultural discussion, and they have to know what kind of data governance models they need to manage and what kind of data governance fits their uh, requirements. And then they go out and look at applications that meet specific needs like payroll, core HRMS, help desk, time and labor. And all of those things, I think, are really, really, you know, it's a conversation that we're seeing and that we saw in our panel with um, our two um, panelists. One was uh, Mike Krupa from Cisco, which is, you know, one of the largest companies in the world dealing with the technology conversation. And the other one was a small 550-person company called Chatham um, Financials and Lindsay Evans, who is director of talent there. And we got this great, you know, dynamic conversation going about how data was changing for the HR conversation. And obviously, Lindsay, with a 500-employee company, you know, was talking about the solutions they needed to fill their gaps. But her focus in many cases was data, even if she didn't realize that's what she was making decisions based off of, because it was the data they needed to make decisions as a company. And Mike Krupa, who is the Senior Director of Digitization and Business Intelligence, Office of Inclusion and Collaboration, see if you can say that twice fast, um, his uh, conversation was much more in-depth about how they're not just thinking about purchasing technology from a data perspective, but they're building technology because they can't find technology that taps into the type of data that they need on an enterprise level, particularly for inclusion and collaboration. So yeah, this data conversation is huge and data governance um, seems to be the term that we're finding resonates best because it covers the whole idea of what you need for data, how it connects with the HR technology environment, and how you think about it from a standards perspective. And, th and then there's, there's this um, reality, which is People want to see results, and so so it would be ideal if data governance preceded all of this. You know, so first get your data in order, then yeah. figure out what you want to do, then go buy something. But <laughs> but that's probably not going to be the model. Um, 
even though you need to have data governance in the long haul, people are going to work their way to it. And that's that's if if there was a single company that I thought people ought to pay attention to. There's, there's one called Swoop Talent, mm-hmm. which does automated data governance. And so it uses it uses mm, machine language, natural language processing, deep learning to identify chunks of data that share similar uh, characteristics and and manage them as the same thing, even though they're called different things, right? Which is the basic problem with governance is all sorts of people call all sorts of things, all sorts of different things. And every one of them has a political um, hook. Yep. So, so changing it is a very, very difficult thing. And Swoop Talent attempts to automate that process. So Swoop yeah, Talent. I've talked to Stacey, that I, I think, you know, who, who's the CEO of that Swoop Talent. And she's one of the most amazing women, I think, in the HR technology space that most people don't know, right? <laughs> she, she's got a mind that, that just runs 100 miles a minute. But what's interesting is that the technology that's underlying what she's doing isn't overly unique. It's the algorithms that she's using inside of it, right? That that are the that right. are the secret sauce. And you know, because we had conversations about, you know, she's got various versions of data lakes and and tools that you know are extractors and and integration tools. But it's her algorithms, secret sauce. And and that's when I think we're starting to see that you know this technology that people are developing. Many cases are hybrids of various things that are out in the market, but it's their their unique way of looking at it and how their tools can basically do the machine learning that that others can't because of the algorithms that make them you know better or worse in some cases at managing the data. Right. Yep. Well, we've run through the through the end of our time here, Stacy. So we can pick this up in the next show. It'd be a great thing. We should particularly have a conversation about secret sauces. Yes, secret sauces are always valuable. I would love to. Yeah, and next uh, we'll be doing our regular show this week at Thursday, and uh, we can definitely pick this up. And there is a ton of news already in the market for this week. I think you know once HR Tech happened, everything just kind of exploded. We saw a lot of purchases, acquisitions, and and uh, fun stuff going on. So I think we'll have some fun things to talk about this week. But it's been great. Uh, nice. Once again, we have an HR tech in the bag, and we are starting the, the process all over again to get ready for next year, right? Yep. Yep. So it's been great talking to you. Thanks. A wonderful show as usual. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We will see you in the next show. Have a great day. Bye-bye now. Bye, everyone.